It's incredible. I never even imagined such things could exist. What we know is a small island in the vast ocean of what we don't. And what we know is that that ocean is seemingly filled with filmmakers inspired by the works of H.P. Lovecraft. Allow the cast of Cthulhu to be your guide for the world of cinematic H.P. Lovecraft adaptations from the superb to the truly cosmically horrific. I'm Jim Rohner. And I'm James McCormick. And today we'll be reviewing 2017's Cold Skin, written by Jesus Almo and Aaron Sheehan, based on the novel by Albert Sanchez Pinol and directed by Xavier Jones, I believe is how his name is actually pronounced. I had to Google that, so I apologize if I am incorrect. And you may be saying to yourself, hey Jim and James, this is <laughs> not Starfish. You promised us Starfish, and this is not Starfish. Um... It's not? Oh, man, I watched the wrong movie. No, yeah, I know. <laughs> um, we've, we're, we're trying to work out um, uh, a guest thing with Starfish, and so mm-hmm. we figured we'd, we'd hold off on it until we could secure that, or I should say, if we can secure that. Yeah. We'll see how that works out. But um, I, it seems like Cold Skin is a, a pretty decent movie to watch for a, a bleak, cold January in which we're all isolating anyway. Yeah, I agree. I think I think it fit today, especially with the uh, winter advisory going on. Too. <laughs> yeah. Perfect timing, you know, mm-hmm. as usual with us, you know. <laughs> of course, and and seeing as it is um, a a winter in uh, a season of climate change, um, by tomorrow there will be no sign that there was even wintry weather today. Exactly, exactly. It's all good. Um, you know? Just like there was no sign of the previous lighthouse keeper either. What? We'll get to what? that. Um, <laughs> it wasn't typhoid, James. Typh- uh, yeah, they kept saying typhus. Typhus, typhus that's right. Typhus. Yeah, typhus. I'm like typhus. Um, but before we talk about Cold Skin, the movie that you did not expect us to be talking about, um, we'll again be talking about something else because we have a news item that uh, yeah. I blame James for this because he was the one that shared it to me. <laughs> um, but of course, I'll be including this on the Facebook page and it is in the show notes. But we have behind-the-scenes photos from Miskatonic U. The Resonator, which um, is uh, apparently a sequel to From Beyond. Um, yeah, yeah, it's supposed to be a sequel. So it's supposed to be being the imperative words. It's it's releasing on February 26, 2021 on the Full Moon Features app, uh, the Full Moon Features streaming app, excuse me, and on the Full Moon Features Amazon Prime video channel. Um, mm-hmm. James is a fan of Full Moon. Um, Full Moon has given us such classic titles as... Uh, Puppet Master and Castle Freak, um, mm-hmm. a, a, along with the entire Evil Bong franchise. <laughs> yes, yes, Evil Bong um, with Tommy Chong, the first one. <laughs> I mean, you can't get better than that. And then the Ginger Ginger Dead Man series. Ginger Dead Man, yes. Which, um, which William Butler, the uh, writer director, uh, <laughs> took took uh, part in. Yes. And, um, which I'm like wondering why that name sounded so familiar to me. William Butler, because I'm like, okay, I mean, I know him from doing, like, schlocky, like, really bad films for Full Moon, that's fine, but I'm like, let me look at his IMDb page, I, I have to see, why does his name sound so familiar, Oof. and for, for, but, but, he did two really good acting roles, well, in two really good horror movies, he, uh, he's Tom in the uh, Night of the Living Dead remake from 1990. Oh, that, the, Tom, uh, Tom, the Tom Savini Tom, one, yeah. Yeah, which I enjoy a lot, actually, I think that one's actually really good because it actually makes barbara not a uh, wimp yeah yeah you I... know, that's the biggest change that i thought was very good mm-hmm. you know and he's the boyfriend ryan in leatherface texas chainsaw massacre 3 <laughs> which blew my mind because i'm like all right he's the guy that like he's trying to like you know 
be all smug towards Viggo Mortensen's car- you know, mm-hmm. evil, you know, redneck character. But before we know he's an evil redneck. So sure. it's like, why are you being smug to him when he's not being a dick to you? He's actually trying to help you out at first, of course. But yeah, William Butler. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I thought some of the behind the scenes photos look, the special, at least the practical effects look pretty cool. Like the costuming, you know, like mm-hmm. blood and guts. But 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 this is a full moon production, which means how good are those going to look in motion? Right, because if full moon sounds familiar uh, to you, it's because it, it is the company that is uh, owned and run by Charles Band. And if you think, Charles Band, that name sounds familiar, yeah. you might think, okay, he was an executive producer on Reanimator and From Beyond. Okay, that sounds awesome. cool. Um, until you go on and see, like, no, but he was also the producer on, once again, the entire Evil Bong franchise, the entire Ginger Dead Man franchise, and arguably the worst movie we've covered on this podcast, The Lurking Fear. I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, The Lurking Fear. <laughs> so, that's one I really want, and that's one I really wanted to enjoy, too. Like, mm-hmm. I'm glad I didn't open, that was my freebie, that was my freebie when I joined Full Moon the app, you know, like the the, the streaming service, because there was two two gifts they give you. One was the lurking fear, which I'm like, okay, they're just trying to get rid of those. <laughs> and the other one was the the complete Puppet Master series on Blu-ray. I'm like, okay, well that's that's pretty cool. Okay, that's a decent consolation prize, I suppose. Yeah, that one got opened. The other the other lurking fear never opened that. I just watched it on Full Moon streaming. Luckily. Right. Yeah. But Charles <laughs> Band, as we have established on this podcast, a less talented and shittier version of Roger Corman, at least in the sense of how he treats his productions and the people on his productions. Yep. Um, yep. So I can't say I'm, I'm super excited about this one, but as James mentioned, also it will be directed by William Butler, who is a name I thought I recognized him until I, 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 I looked at his IMDb resume. I didn't recognize anything, but he is the director of such cinematic classics as Bunker of Blood, colon, Chapter 2, Dash, Deadly Dolls, colon, Deepest Cuts, and Bunker of Blood, colon, Chapter 8, colon, Butcher's Bake Off, colon, Hell's Kitchen, which I um, unofficially, I have to imagine, is in the Guinness Book of World Records for the most colons in a film title, because um, that is four. But um, suffice it to say... Lot. Yeah, a lot su- of colons, yeah. Su- suffice it to say, um, I don't think there's a, a, a huge amount of talent or budget attached to this and the budget is is one thing we've certainly covered our fair share of low budget adaptations on this but um maybe most curiously by declaring itself to be a sequel to from beyond this is now the third cinematic hp lovecraft universe which is out there because we have richard stanley's who he started with the color out of space he's eventually going to do I, i believe um, it's not the Whisper in Darkness. It's the the. I know I joked about this with Sean Brandy and Andrew Lehman, but like it, it's it's another of the blank in the blank, uh, the Haunter in the Dark. I think is what it's what he's oh, okay. he's doing next. Um, and then uh, Barbara Crampton also is a producer on another one, which which started last year with the Castle Freak remake, which I believe is is available on Shutter uh, to watch. And now this one, and James and I were speculating over text. He said, maybe too much of a good thing. And I said, maybe too much of a bad thing. Because, <laughs> um, yes, his work is in the public domain. Anyone yes. can adapt it. And now, as we have established, um, H.P. Lovecraft uh, properties are more popular than they've ever been. But that also means that people like Charles Band can come and say, I'm going to step into the fray. When really, 
no one needs you to do that. The problem is also that band can actually say, "Hey, I started this yeah. years ago." You know what I mean? He he could he could actually say that because he did produce Reanimator mm-hmm. and From Beyond and Castle Freak and I don't think he had anything to do with Dagon. I think that was like a side project. Yeah, but I, don't, like, I don't think so. But either way, like he he was in that forefront before the world was. Like he he, he you know he basically saw what Stuart Gordon. And you know Brian Usna wanted to wanted to do with this idea, but of course, the band the band um, kind of like uh, motif is probably more of the uh, kind of stupid humor and nudity that is prevalent in his stuff. I mean, like you said, he's like the low, low the super low budget Roger Corman, and Roger Corman's a low budget guy, mm-hmm. but band is famous for bringing out posters of films that weren't made that aren't made like it's just a poster of a film and going to screenwriters that are trying to come up in in you know the annals of hollywood and say write me a treatment in two days for this poster and i was like you know like i think that's how demonic toys got made Mm -hmm. was write me a script Oh, what's it about? I don't fucking know what it's about. Just write <laughs> me something. Make it make it make sense that the poster, because this poster is really well painted, you know, or, or whatever. And I, I kind of love that. It's like that carnival, you know, carnival barker type of idea. But is it still relevant today? Mm-hmm. You know, of, of that kind of mentality or you and I. But, but I mean, again, you and I, it just means we have more more stuff to watch and maybe um, be in pain about. Right, and and I, I get what you're saying when it comes to Charles Band was you could say he's the OG, you know he he does mm-hmm. he he was legitimately an EP on From Beyond and yeah. uh, Castle Freak and that kind of stuff, and and in a little bit of of a Venn diagram, he's also because he he was a producer on the original Castle Freak, he's an EP on the Barbara Crampton produced Castle Freak as well, but yeah. whatever. Uh, but so he may have the the connection, but then also. Do I want the producer of Corona Zombies or Barbie and Kendra Save yeah. the Tiger King to be adapting something from or, or continuing the, something from the H.P. Lovecraft cinematic universe? And I got to tell you, once again, the link for this this behind the scenes photo in this article is in the show notes. Click on it now and ask yourself, <laughs> how does a PR professional have any dignity when they're writing a PR release for a full moon production when, let me see, when we have such text as, um, in 2020, as Hollywood productions shut down and were put on hold, Full Moon created a series of high-concept exploitation pictures produced exclusively under the parameters of the quarantine, beginning yeah. with the satirical and hugely successful Corona Zombies, let's, the uh, jury's still out on that, and continuing with Barbie and Kendra Save the Tiger King, each comedic film includes redubbed footage from obscure exploitation films, <clears throat> along with new footage and existing news footage, <laughs> to create surreal and socially irreverent exploitation entertainment. James, someone got paid to write that and had yeah. to take this job seriously. No, and and look, I don't blame the person for writing that. Well, no, I understand. I understand. Like you said, it's a it's a PR thing. But I mean, I've try to watch a little bit of Corona Zombies just to, you know, because a friend of mine said, hey, you know, you might like it. And then I never talked to him again after that. Because, <laughs> no, <laughs> just joking. But no, I, 
it's look again i understand why band did those types of films because you couldn't make films at that time so you had you know band has a very big collection of films and especially a lot of the films are public domain so you can do whatever the hell you want to them yeah so you can dub over them i mean hell I remember it was one of the worst things I ever seen in my life was a a redubbed Night of the Living Dead and it was like quote unquote urban Night of the Living Dead. Oh, so, God. But but you could tell, at least to in my ears, it was a bunch of white guys pretending to be black people. And it is one of the worst things I've ever watched in my life. I was like, this is just not funny. Mm-hmm. This is just stupid. Like it's just like yo, I want a neck bone. It's like, what is? What am I watching here? <laughs> like, like, and like it was, and I had the DVD, and I threw it out right afterwards. I'm like, this cannot be shared with anyone else ever again. <laughs> <laughs> so, I understand the idea. Like, hey, you make a quick buck. Let's keep the streaming service going. We will get more people. And you know what? When they put out that Corona Zombies, that got some press. People were like, what Corona Zombies? They made a no. He just redubbed Italian zombie films. And then just had little, little side things with. I, I think it was the Barbara, Barbie and Kendra, whoever they are, mm. in them. I think they're they're like the the connecting tissue. It, yes, they're exploitation cinema. It's kind of like the idea of back in the day when they would take on a film and go, wait, we need to make we need to make this more flashy, more. Let's um, we'll put it out, but we'll put it out in a different title, and we'll film like a beginning and end to it. And mm-hmm. just kind of mash it together, so it won't make any sense. It won't look the same at all, but people won't know the difference. Like hell, that's what Snuff was. Snuff was another film before. <laughs> then he said, "Shit, that didn't do that well." But Snuff films are, you know, the idea of a Snuff film's in. So we'll we'll take this other crappy film and we'll just kind of plaster some stuff in the beginning and the end. Yeah, that that's that'll work, right? So it's it's an idea that's been going on for almost probably like a century now. Is it good? No, it's not. But it's just to get some news. It's just get people to kind of go, hey, let me watch this. So, and, and that's kind of the thing with like Full Moon. And I also liken it to like Trauma, where mm-hmm. they have made some good films. They have made some fun films. They're not always like great, but like there's some fun stuff to it. But then, then it's just like it, it opens the floodgates to a bunch of shit, like just garbage, <laughs> where you look at it and you go, uh, do I really want to say I'm a Full Moon fan or a Troma fan when they made this film? You know, like, and people will, back when there were blockbuster videos and you'd, you'd see, like, a lot of Full Moon films and a lot of Troma films in Blockbuster. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, if Blockbuster was known for, like, oh, we can't have editing that's, like, really, you know, like, ultra-violent or ultra-sexual, but... But when it came to Full Moon and Trauma, that stuff got away with it. And sometimes they had the most disgusting violence and just the most blatant nudity ever. And I'm talking about Trauma especially. They don't give a shit. They're just like, here's dongs everywhere. <laughs> yeah, they don't care. It's just a dong here, dong there, dong everywhere. Well, and it's... Uh, and now... It's just lazy to me. It's just lazy. Well, and that's the thing. You, you, could, you can certainly make an argument that... Um, exploitation films of a certain genre at a certain time in um, 
you know, the history of cinema kind of came about from a, a an artistic outlet for people that, you know, were not being given the opportunities to, you know, have their 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 voices heard or their stories being told. I mean, right. but these days with the democratization of film and someone like Charles Band, you can't really, or at least I can't look at exploitation cinema as anything other than it's a cheap and easy way to, um, as the name entails, mm -hmm. exploit people's macabre fears or immaturity for a quick buck on my end yeah. And um, by delivering the kind of stuff which is not inherent in the text, you and I have complained about Stuart Gordon when it comes mm -hmm. to, you know, yeah. d there's there's sex stuff in some of his uh, Lovecraft adaptations that doesn't make sense or didn't need right. to be in there. But also at the same time, you, you can kind of understand to a certain extent, like, but, it, you know, I, I got to draw people in and I, I got to I got to make money, too. Right. Charles Band no one's going to see these in movie theaters. No one's going no. to, you know, is 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 paying an arm and a leg for... Well, I mean, I guess Full Moon has its own streaming service, so there's that. But um, right. it's it just... You kind of have a sense of... And I'm rambling now, but you can kind of get a sense of what what I can expect from Miss Katonic U is probably going to be a lot of gore yes. and probably a lot of titillation just because... They can't tentacles afford too. Yeah. tentacles too. Oh, there's no. there's definitely going to be tentacles, James, and I guarantee you those tentacles and that titillation are going to have some type of overlap, yeah. um, because that's all that they can afford, and that's all that they can really aspire to. And so it's, I mean, I, I gotta, you know, you gotta appreciate that someone, you know, someone's got to hustle, and you got to get paid somehow. But also, like, don't it it <laughs> it, it further it further contributes to this idea of like people getting the wrong idea about the power of Lovecraft and the yes. kind of work that he did because when you see Miskatonic You, the resonator produced by Charles Band, you seem like, no, not this guy. Yeah, yeah. Or or if someone is like fresh into the, you know, the idea of Lovecraft and they see that, you go, Oh, okay, let me watch you know, like a young kid, you know, yeah. like like in a teens going, Oh, okay, let me watch that. Oh, that's what Lovecraft's about? Probably not. It's, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna, you know, have a guest there and the weirdest thing is that i do a little more research on this miskatonic you thing um it started filming in december and it's, <laughs> and, and it's coming out february 26th so that means they're probably editing it right now yep you, you know that thing it, it it's and, and don't get me wrong hey good for the hustle but we know we, i'm gonna be very surprised if it's if it's any good like anything about it is like actually go. Oh wow, that was actually pretty fun. I mean, I I doubt it. I doubt it. I know that Corman had a reputation for being like pretty fast and loose oh. with his productions. Like what the his original two days. yeah Little Shop of Horror was what a day and a half, two days. Yeah, with the same set from I think it was a bucket of blood, I think, or something. That so it's like oh well, I got three, I got two and a half more days to film. Yeah, let's make another film. Yeah. Having said that, I've never seen that rendition of Little Shop of Horrors, oh. and I'm I, I'm not all that curious to to see it. To be honest with you, I mean, if it, well, here's my thing with that: if it wasn't for that version, you wouldn't have the far superior musical. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. It's a weird it's a weird thing to think of that. Like, oh yeah, if Corman didn't say, "Hey, let's just make a really cheap movie in like two days," we wouldn't have like this brilliant, like you know, to me, like musical masterpiece. But 
then again, luckily, like I said, it's it's worth a watch, but it's not like you, it won't change your life. You won't go, wow, that was really good. No, it's like, eh, okay, that was pretty good. For, considering it's a film that they've shot in like less than two days, it's pretty pretty good actually. <laughs> I, I also haven't seen his. Um... Fantastic Four, but I did see the documentary about it, and that's quite an inspirational, oh. uh, nice little film, I'd say. I, you know, it, it's funny. I got the uh, weird tangent we're going on, but I actually got the the Blu-ray of the documentary Doomed. Right? Yeah, it's called no. Doomed. Yeah. yeah, it's real good. Um, and the the filmmaker that made the original Fantastic Four also, he actually sent a copy of the Fantastic Four movie on a like a BDR. Oh, so really? like it's yeah so I'm like I actually like let me watch this again for the first time it's not as bad as people say it's like it's not good don't get me wrong it's not good but mm-hmm. it's like this is like how how is this film one that like Marvel like they wanted to burn all the copies all the prints like Avi Arad wanted to burn everything because that would ruin any chances to make future films which is funny to look at in retrospect. Mm-hmm. Um, especially after years later, they made a movie like Electra, which is terrible. <laughs> but you know that's a movie I'd burn. But Fantastic Four, it's fun. It's 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 shoddy effects, but you know, is it is it to me? Like I jokingly said, I liked it better than even the big budget Fantastic Four movies. <laughs> I, I mean, mean, hell, it's it's better than the freaking Josh Trank one. It's which I've only seen half of on an airplane. Um, uh, which half? The first or second half? The first half. Okay, because that movie is terrible. <laughs> right, but it's just—it's terrible. It's—it's going to take a lot to convince me that that movie is that Corman's Fantastic Four is worse than Fantastic Four: Rise of the Silver Surfer. Um, no, yeah. I, what 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 a wasted opportunity for that! Like, because Silver Surfer is like my favorite, one of my favorite characters. Mm-hmm. It's like. And and you have Lawrence Fishburne doing a voice, but not bad. But you had Doug Jones as the actual body, and yeah. why couldn't he do the voice? Like to this day, I I understand like you know name you know name recognition, but it's fucking Silver Surfer. Just who cares? You know, just whatever. But maybe not. I'm well. Our our Disney overlords <laughs> and, and Marvel have have the Fantastic Four and X Men back. You know, I don't like to say, oh, thank God for that. No, it's still a monopoly. Let's not kid ourselves. Well, sure. But maybe, maybe they'll finally get it right. Well, we'll and see. I was thinking about this yesterday because while, while we're on the topic of comics, which is far and away yeah. from what we were supposed <laughs> to be talking about, um, I realized because I, I think it was, was it the last episode where we were speculating about how, you know, could, oh. could Wanda, could the Scarlet Witch usher in House of M kind of a thing. Yes, um, yeah. But apparently the big bad for the next Marvel cinematic phase is supposed to be Kang the Conqueror. Who's uh, a, a cool character, but it's like someone I would never think. A time traveler. And also a time traveler that, at least according to the comics, was just yeah. kind of a regular person that was sort of enhanced by technology. Yeah, because he's like from the far future of like the 34th century. Some, something that you would never see, you know, like, oh, we're never going to live to that. So what does it matter what century it is, you yeah. know? Though it, it's also... <laughs> It also is, I think he's supposed to be the main villain for Phase 4, whereas technically, you know, there's been Phase 1, Phase 2, Phase 3. So is he the overarching villain, or is he just Phase 4, then Phase 5 is going to be someone new? That's that's well, yet to be determined, I suppose. I mean, the last, the last little nerdy thing I'll say is that, you know, the whole... 
have you been watching WandaVision? Like, yes, yes, I have. Oh, uh, yeah. So the third episode was... Ooh, ooh so was, good. So good. But that's where we're at right now, just so you know, in the world of uh, WandaVision. But I don't know. I'm going to say this, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that that it seems like because of Wanda and all her multiverse type stuff that, and like all the little speculation of what does this mean? What does that mean? Like, like, do you have the feeling like, you know, Dr. Strange is trying to actually help her out? That's what, what the butterfly was. Because oh. the butterflies have you, butterflies are used twice with Dr. Strange. Once in the movie itself, when, when he's flying through all space and time, like for the first time, and like the butterfly touches him for a second, oh. and he touches it, he's like, and it's like that moment of like, like what? And then like he stretches out, and the, and then the second time was in, um, I think Infinity War when he's fighting Thanos, and he becomes like, like a million oh, yeah, butterflies yeah. to fight him. I don't know if that's like, I knowing them and Kevin Feige and all them, like you know, that's probably a little little subtle nod that, to that that kind of know? makes sense because according to wikipedia because this is what i do i i, <laughs> I research too much into things um same, same. that wandavision does feed directly into the, dr stranger yeah. the multiverse of madness yeah. um which i'm excited for but like yeah it, it, but then again going back to the whole kang the conqueror thing if you look at kang and who one of his quote-unquote friends frenemies you know person that always was on a on a buddy mission with him for mm -hmm. a lot is dr doom okay yeah yeah mm -hmm. so and i think with the whole wandavision thing and like with the multiverse of madness and all this other stuff i i mean i i mean fuck i only assume that's how we're gonna get fantastic four x-men all the stuff that like in the, the mutants themselves like because she can open up all these different multiverses, hey, the Fantastic Four are from a different universe. Mm -hmm. That there were no other heroes; they're just the only ones there, and then somehow they'll get transported in. I mean, mm -hmm. and hell, that's how you could explain why Daredevil and supposedly Charlie Cox, yeah, that's... is in the new Spider-Man. He's he's Daredevil, but it's like a slightly different Daredevil. He's a little different. This is you, this, this is all very interesting, and I I mean, and I guess, I mean, I we've we've already wanted the pandemic to go away for the vaccine yes. for everything to 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 be better just because Please. health and safety and well being is is something that we all want. But also, God, I want to go back to the movies, especially mm -hmm. because this this year allegedly, Black Widow, yep. the Eternals, or I guess yep. they, they they just made it Eternals now. Oh, it did made it Eternals. Yeah, and um, and the yeah. third Spider-Man movies are all supposed to be coming out this yeah. year, allegedly. And by the way, there's an, an Eternals trailer. I don't know if you've a tease. It's a oh, teaser no. trailer. I don't oh, know teaser. if you've seen it yet, but it, it's, it's a, like a thirty-second teaser. Yeah, or? yeah, you, and you see um, Angelina Jolie for a little bit, and then Richard Madden for a little bit, and then a bunch of other stuff is just kind of some landscapes and some quick CGI shots of stuff, but there, there is a teaser out there for Eternals. You don't see any of Camille Nanjiani, which I was hoping, uh, hoping to see. I, yeah. I, I want to see him with his ripped body that people <laughs> like, like poked at him. Like, Hey, it's cause you're rich and famous. Like, yeah, you know what? It's still freaking hard to do. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. that's, that's neither here nor there. Yeah. The, but, um, uh, Miss Kadonic, you, the resonator is probably going to be terrible, but click on the link to, to get some behind the scenes I'll photo. Watch, I'll watch it. I'll, I'll look when it comes out, I'll watch it. And then I'll let you know, Jim, if it's worth covering <laughs> right away 
or we cover it a year from now when we're really desperate for something else. Your your um your story of um the seeing seeing that movie and then just like I have to get rid of this and I have to make sure no one sees this movie ever again reminded me of I bought a copy of Cannibal Holocaust when I was in college only watched it one time and I probably should have disposed of it and be like no one should ever see this movie ever again but instead what I did was uh, when I moved out of my very first apartment, I just left it in the top shelf of the closet in my bedroom, and it was just like, whoever moves in here next going to be like, oh, what's this movie? And then um, a, a pox beyond their house ever, ever, ever more after that, I suppose. But um, Cold Skin. Um, here's, here's, a, here's how I described it. Forgettable, but not regrettable. Um, it, Good way to describe it, yeah. an, an effective little film, um, but it is a little film. It doesn't really aspire to do too much or i guess you could say it does kind of aspire but doesn't quite hit it or 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 live up to those aspirations it is directed by xavier jones um who's a french director whose debut feature was frontiers which i have to say i never saw and because the french extremity films kind of sit a little bit uneasy with me i loved inside i hated martyrs and martyrs is a is a is a yeah that's like i mean i i like martyrs for what it is but like it's a film I I can't say. Oh, let me watch it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, and Frontiers I, is good. Frontiers is pretty good for what it is. Yeah, and I've I've heard it is. It's just I I the the extreme yeah. things I I really I don't do super well with. I still have never seen a Gaspar Noé uh, film. Really? Uh, yeah, oh. still have okay. not done so. Um, even yeah, even them, which I, I guess people say like was kind of remade spiritually into the Strangers in the United States. Like that's. That yeah. gets lumped in there, but I don't see that as. I don't either. I don't agree with like like because it, it's what because it's French and it came out like in the mid two thousands. Well, I, like, I think I think because and I I only have this thought in my mind because yeah way back in the day on ID movies badly Tim Buell spoke to me about uh, new French extremity stuff so I did Martyrs I did Inside and I did Them and Them is like not nearly as viscerally violent but like emotionally it's hugely yes. nihilistic and just kind of like wait. What that well, was? Well, and that's what's funny, like about um, his films, Xavier Jean's films, Frontiers, and I'll even go with, like, what? Well, and you you mentioned a couple other things, but I'll 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 dive into another film he did called the the Divide. Mm. Um, that is like so like like I wasn't even that I wasn't even really a fan of it. I think I think it's very very hate filled. Like it's very like just people that are trying to survive like some sort of like apocalyptic type of thing and just the 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 low of what people could become like you know rapists and like murderers during a time when people should be kind of getting together to like save each other no of course then a hierarchy begins and you know it's very hateful and stuff but then again i look at a film like that or films like that with that idea that go yes sadly if if the world was burning around us, that's probably what would happen. You have a lot of idiots out there mm-hmm. that, and idiots. If there's enough idiots, they become one big idiot, and, <laughs> and they collect them. So, yeah, I mean, so I was I was thinking about his films, and then like going into this film blindly. Like it's a film that I only saw all the time on Shutter. Like mm-hmm. it would always like pop up like. Shutter exclusive, Shutter, ex- which I don't think it is anymore because it's on, like it's you on, said, yeah, it's on Prime. Amazon Prime. It's also on IMDb TV, mm-hmm. whatever. So I'm like, 
Okay, so it's a Shutter exclusive, and I, I, I trust, I trust, you know, Zimmerman and his picks. You know, even if I'm not the biggest fan of some of them, like, okay, that's good. But I was hoping it wasn't going to be as nihilistic as his other films. And I'm, even though this film is a little nihilistic, but it's not super nihilistic. There, but we'll we'll get into that. There's some stuff I want to I want to talk to you about with some ideas I have that stretch the ideas of this film. Well, yeah, and because and this was, um, to be honest with you, so this was the first feature that I saw from Jean's because oh. I didn't see Frontiers. Um, you didn't see Hitman? I didn't <laughs> I did not see Hitman, which I guess he lobbied his successor Frontiers into Hitman, which I know yeah. was hugely hated and not well received, but then also apparently when I did a little bit more research, um, Fox rejected his cut of Hitman and ordered extensive reshoot, reshoots. Right, but Fox denies that it was because of the excessive level of violence that Johns included. Though I, I wonder, yeah, though I, I, I wouldn't be, because up until this, and the only other thing I've seen from him was his installment of the ABCs of Death, which was X's for XXL, which is uh, horrifying uh, short to to look at. Um, I mean, as are as are many of them, but basically, an overweight woman who cuts all of the fat off of her body. Um, oh, right, that's yeah. his. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, no, it, it's it's pretty horrible. Um, and so. Uh, if anyone has listened to the podcast The Faculty of Horror, um, which is a great, as the name implies, horror podcast run by two uh, women from Canada, um, one of them actually wrote a book about the new French extremity. And so it's actually oh. quite an edifying book in the, in the sense of the social and like cultural context that it, that it brings up uh, or, or that, that allowed these films to, and, and even kind of digs in a little bit into... Um, like at the beginning of them, the teacher is like new, like she just moved from France or to France from Belgium, and even talking about how there's, you know, the national tensions between these two countries and how that sets kind of an emotional tone. So it's it's fascinating. It didn't it didn't make me appreciate martyrs any more than I did. But um, Xavier Jean's a guy that kind of got his name through the New French Extremity. So when I saw this movie, I was like, this is going to be really bloody and over the top. And it's really not. It's actually kind of quite timid, at least when it comes to its viscera. Um, but like I said, tries to kind of shoot towards something which is kind of profound about human nature and i don't think it it hits very well i yeah i mean yeah like like the whole thing like you mentioned in the notes that it's true like are humans necessarily human or can they become monsters and can quote-unquote monsters become humans in a way or you you know and there is that and there's little other things throughout this film that kind of give you little nods to who these characters are, like, you know, Gruner, who he is, who played by the great Ray Stevenson. Like everyone's favorite Punisher. I you know, I, I agree with that. I like John Bernthal, but as a like to me, perfect like from the page into a movie, his his Punisher War Zone is is simply to me a perfect Punisher adaptation. Like like the Garth Ennis, like I'm super violent. I, I have no emotion at all. <laughs> mm-hmm. But then again, he's what what I love about him is he's he, to me he's he's actually a really good actor that he's also the jovial um was he Volstag in uh the yeah. Thor movies? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The big lovable dwarf type character. So you like you like I I think that's his thing now. He 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 plays really great f- characters with big beards. You know, <laughs> which is why I've been growing my beard out this the last couple of weeks, which now it's become so freaking unmanageable, but I don't know. But yeah, I, I love him as Gruner. But again, the little twist in the movie that we see at one point when 
we find out a little more about Gruner's backstory. Mm-hmm. I kind of like that little nod of like, okay, so what what happened to what happened at this lighthouse a yeah. year before? Mm-hmm. Like, and that's the thing. Like, you know, our character, our our surrogate, our narrator, friend, as he's known, which again, like a little nod to Lovecraft's, you know, works. The narrator doesn't necessarily have a name. Yeah, it's just a mm-hmm. person speaking about what is going on around him, and we know he survives till the end mm-hmm. because he's the narrator, and that's fine. But like you said, it does it land it. I don't think it, it, it's like a, you know, a really cool routine, but there's a little bit of a trip here and there. But I appreciate the try. Like I do appreciate the, him. This, this film trying to say a little bit more maybe about humanity and about what could happen just on this little island, which did they say where this was necessarily? Is it supposed to be like near Australia kind of type of thing? Because I, I remember someone says Austral at some point, and I'm like, is that supposed to be? Um, the summary, at least on IMDb, just says on yeah. the edge of the Antarctic Circle. So, okay. Ant- okay. So Antarctica. So so the okay. So then, it's down below. Okay. Yeah. So maybe it is near Australia. Maybe it's like yeah, I guess it an could island be. that's that's further down. Maybe past. Well, because who knows? I, I feel yeah. like there was also something, and and this is so I, I I watched this movie over two parts or or over two days, and so some stuff has okay. slipped from my memory. I feel like they did mention South America at some point. Um, they might have. Yeah. Like there was some. There was little. Like like again, it's a film that's like. It doesn't beat you over the head with explanation. It's just like, okay, here's little. It's almost like playing like, like a, like a, a video game, like like almost like a game like Mist, where you walk around, you find out little, little hints of what happened and like, who's this person? Whatever. What happened to the other guy that that supposedly just vanished? You know, when he gets left off. You know. Right. Well, and, and in a way, it sort of doesn't matter specifically where they are as much as you, you just get the impression they're sort of at the end of the world, the quote-unquote end of the world, um, which ties in, you know, not just geographically, but also, as as you just said, the film kind of takes place on the precipice of World War One. Like, I don't think the war had started yet, maybe. Right. Um, but, like, you know, it was bellowing, yeah. It was yeah. about to blow up. But, I mean, that was, that was, you know, when it came around, like, the war to end all wars is what they said and how inhumane people were and how horrible it was. And so you just kind of get the sense of they are on the edge of the world as the world itself is kind of on the edge of its own kind of existential demise. And so, right. yeah, Ray Stevenson as Gruner, he's kind of fun when you first see him he's just kind of like hung over mm-hmm. and just buck naked and you get the sense of like this guy is not like is clinging on to his last vestige of humanity and it's kind of like what is his story and then as you learn more of his story um the film kind of wants you to think that there's a little bit of depth to him but there's i don't know there there's not and i guess yeah like we said there's clearly supposed to be like a role reversal we have gruner kind of devolving from human inst- into monster and anaris um kind of evolving in a way from like monster into a more human and we have our nameless uh narrator who is sort of our audience surrogate as like to experience this journey um yeah and and i guess maybe i wanted to learn more about the creatures i don't know it is like it, it gets to a point where the film gets a little monotonous in the middle um yeah and uh, and and kind of like repetitive. Like I mean, there's only so many times you could show us a montage of them trying to fight off these creatures in the night. Where it's like, yes, I, I get it. This is their routine. And I suppose you could say something about how that repetition kind of plays into the monotony of the routine. Except, 
Um, as uh, and I'll, I'll read a bit of a, a, a little snippet of a review, but spoiling it for a little bit, I'll say is it, it's sort of the film kind of wants us to get to that big climax at the end and just kind of it's running through the motions until we get to there. No, I know, and it's funny because like I, you know, you feel the monotony, but I think I think it's intended monotony. I think it's supposed to be like why you know ultimately why Gruner has got like because the whole thing is like you know how did Gruner survive all this time yeah but I'll give you know when we get to a little later I'll give my my idea about that I, I have an idea but he was dead the whole time he was dead yeah he was seeing <laughs> dead people no but like it's all it's all that fish fucking you know that's what it was you know okay which no, I... no, no, no. I, I was actually, I <laughs> okay. was actually gonna say you, you had you had me going there. For I, a little I had bit. you there, right? No, you did. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, like, spoiler alert. You know, when we find out who Gruner really is, mm-hmm. he was actually what friend was. Yes. So this lighthouse guy is gone. I think this character of you know Ray Stevenson has only been there for less than a year, like basically a year. Okay. So, what, so and he somehow. Learn like when he got there, and then whatever happened between him and the lighthouse keeper, whatever, you know, whatever happened, we don't know. Some shit happened, mm-hmm. and he fortified the lighthouse, and he never comes down except for during the day to go get water, wood, some food here and there. So when friend comes, he sees it like, oh, that that was me at one point, but now I'm Gruner, and then at the end. When you know Ray Stevenson is gets typhus and <laughs> yeah, um, now friend is Gruner, yeah, and the whole cycle begins again in a way. But then again, like, is it cycles? Is it going to keep going, or it's just that it just shows that the sanity of man is just so limited after going through so much shit. Now, friend is now Gruner until this guy comes in, and then what's going to happen? Is he going to be the same, or is he going to be a better person than Gruner? You know, than Ray Stevenson's Gruner was. Yeah, and that's the thing is that Friend is kind of a blank slate, and yeah. I, I suppose you can make an argument that well, he has to be a blank slate because um, on him is is the canvas on which we're going to paint this, um, you know, this ex this this exploration of man's humanity, and so. Um, yeah. you know, it, it's not necessarily what happens to, or it's not necessarily important who he is as much as the understanding or the theme that he eventually becomes Gruner. And we see this is a cycle that's going to just kind of keep repeating. Um, and so while there was a point where I'm like, yeah, man, it'd just be better if like Gruner got fucking killed. I didn't really care what happened to friend at all because I didn't, I didn't really get a sense of who he was as a character, what he wanted. Um, He's clearly going to develop some type of uh, some type of connection with Anaris, not because yeah. of anything inherent in him, but just the genre tropes dictate that's what's going to happen. And so, sure, the end where he just like becomes the Gruner character is like, okay, I, I guess that sort of makes sense. But also, why am I supposed to care, or where's my investment in it? And it's because I I yeah. didn't know a whole lot about him, and I don't know a whole lot about these creatures. Which is not to say that I need a detailed backstory as to, you know, generations ago, mankind made it with bippity-boppity-whatever. But, <laughs> you know, for all we know, 
they're they don't have a humanity for all we know they are just imitating human forms for some type of evolutionary advantage which i know is me reading too deep but i'm saying everything in this movie is basically a blank slate kind of except for gruner right right but then again he's kind of a blank slate too in a way because he copied someone else yeah that's also true he's living a lie he's living a whole lie this whole time like his his former life is gone now he's gruner now Mm -hmm. this guy that but then again like he's become like a deplorable person where he just beats and basically rapes this fish woman yeah over and over again and then so okay so to go into one of the parts when later in the film after all these battles between Gruner friend and then this fish creatures and it it keeps happening keeps happening and then all of a sudden it stops for a while mm-hmm. and of course Gruner assumes Anaris is the cause of that where before because friend noticed that when she was crying out into the night that's when it would come yeah now she's not crying out she's keeping quiet and they're not coming mm-hmm. okay fine um is that like a mating call and they're coming for her or is it just like they want to get back their you know their family member but then whatever so flash forward and is that that scene when friend goes into the water with anaris and we know they have sex. We know, but it, but they have to, like, because then, you know, of course, Gruner's watching in the shadows. So then, Anaris, after the big battle with the with the dynamite and stuff, Anaris is gone now, and mm. there's so many dead, whatever. So then we flash forward whatever amount of time, because it's kind of like you don't know how much time has passed, because even him riding on the wall, it's like seven days scratched off three yeah and then he, he it's, smudges at one point smudges, yeah but then we see a child of an heiress come yes whose child is that <laughs> that is that his child is that gruner's child is that a fish creature's child and like I'll... you know what i mean though like i don't know because like it, it it almost to me it seems like are they playing it off that it's it's friend's child that why they have that connection and why they're trying to keep peace? I'll give you. I'll give you one better question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who cares? And well, I, I, I don't I, say. I know. I, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. I, I don't say it cynically or even in response to you as much as, how is that revelation any? What what does that add to what we already know about these creatures? Like, oh, they have they have like young. So does like every mammal or living creature on this earth. Right. They it, do it doesn't that. give them. Yeah, it doesn't give them a human side. It's just like, oh, it's a child. Mm. And, I mean, ultimately, it's just there for Gruner to become, like, totally evil and kill the child. Well, and and, that, and that's the thing, because also this movie does does something that, that I hate, and it ties a little bit even into the exploitation conversation we had at the top of the episode. Like, mm-hmm. we hate Gruner right. primarily because we see him do despicable things to Anaris. Yes. And that's horrible absolutely inexcusable he's a deplorable character when he dies it's like yay celebration this is what should have been happening or or this is what we've been waiting for but also what i want i want to be careful with my words here yeah yeah um i i I want i want something more than just here's this one dimensional kind of bad person like 
Because once again, we still don't know much about the humanity, quote unquote, of these things. Now that doesn't excuse right. anything he does. Because I mean, if you swap no. a out with a the dog, then yeah, Gruner, right. you're a piece of shit because you've been right. a, a piece of shit to this dog. Um, but uh, I don't know. And, and so maybe I'm talking myself into something. Maybe I'm rambling again. But just that idea of um, maybe it's supposed to be the question of, you know, not not so much the question of can these creatures be more human. As much as um, are you know, at best, are we really just animals to begin with? Because we have Gruner doing these animalistic, horrible, brutal things, including the sex stuff. Which, like, yes, yeah. he hates this thing, but also it's it's not about sex; it's about power, and he's still just objectifying this thing. Is like, I don't yes. care about this thing. Like, it's just an outlet for me. But, um, but I, I maybe in, in some of that rambling, you can kind of see how I could kind of see like, yeah, the, the messaging of this is a bit like. Not even muddled so much as like I get what they're saying. I'm just not sure they said it very clearly. Yeah, because then also uh, 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 going back to that, where you know the scene right before Bruner goes out and gets devoured by the creatures, because he's he's basically he's gone mad, whatever, and he's fighting friend, and then friend says to him his real name, the yeah. name that he was known for before, and you're not a murderer. I'm thinking, yes, he is. No, he 100% is. He's a fucking, like, and so are you, friend. It's okay. <laughs> you didn't know at first. You thought these things were just trying to attack you to, like, eat you. There's more of a reason. We don't know what that reason is. But when he said that, you're not a murderer, I'm like, I started laughing a little bit because I'm like, yes, you are. You And and you're despicable. You're, he's worse than a murderer. He's a murderer. He's a rapist. He's, he's a abuser. And all because of whatever happened to him, and he's choosing. Because it's weird. Because then when he goes out into the night to uh, let himself go, he just keeps saying the word love. Yeah. Love, love. So like, what is like, what are you talking about, Gruner? Now, like, like, are you finally snapped, or is that supposed to be more of a meaning behind it? Maybe that's what it was, but I didn't get that at all. I was like, love, love, love. Okay, eat me. Like <laughs> that's what it seemed like. It's like, wait, what? And and I like this film. You know, I don't want people to think, oh, you make. No, I actually liked it. It's just, it's a lot of it's muddled. A lot of it's like you and and you said it best. The message is there. We see what the message. I think it's supposed to be, but was it actually translated well? Well, yeah, and and because I mean, it, it the the movie makes it very clear with the, even that opening quote from Nietzsche is like what this oh. what what we're supposed to be exploring here, and with the the voiceover narration from Friend, yeah. it's just um, I guess I'll I'll steal from someone who is better at me at explaining these things. This hmm. is a review from Dave Ehrlich, uh, IndieWire, that I think um, was written in 2018 when the film premiered at a. It wasn't Fantastic Fest, but it was some type of festival. Maybe, maybe Fantasia. Yeah, in, that's what in, it was. Fantasia in, in Canada. Yeah. 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 Um, but he says, it doesn't help that it's so hard to understand how the sea creatures haven't killed Gruner already. Valid point, because yeah. how is this guy fight with without this cache of ammunition that friend brings? Right. How is this guy fighting them off every day? Um, or that Heisu uh, Alomo and Aaron Sheehan's screenplay feels obligated to go through the motions of its genre, even when the writers are obviously more interested in getting to the last act. It's curious how fast the monsters show up. The first attack comes after about 15 minutes, which I was remember being very surprised by that as well. Like, it just yeah, kind of yeah. gets right in there. As if the film were trying to outpace our expectations and buy itself the time to deepen this story. But the distended middle of cold skin, 
squanders that advantage by not better exploring the dynamic between its two human leads and the amphibious creatures who comes between them. Sorry, amphibious creature, singular, who comes between them. Which, once again, like, right there, like, yeah, yeah. didn't really... Didn't really, you know, the, there, there was so much potential there for, like, let's dig into these two characters, how they're similar, how they're not, and develop a clearer picture of how um, Anaris can kind of act as a, a wedge or, 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 you know, or how the friend can, can connect to her more than Gruner. But it, it was mm-hmm. just kind of, most of their conversations are just kind of like one words and like grunts and that kind of stuff. And it's, you know. Or, or weird like philosophical things. And then the other one just says, yeah, whatever. <laughs> right. Like, okay. Okay, friend. Mm-hmm. Whatever you say. Yeah. Like, like, oh, do you think they're doing this because of that? I don't know. I just want to kill them all. And here's something that I missed, or maybe maybe it's something that I missed, or maybe it's something mm-hmm. the film doesn't overlook. But if yeah. they did truly believe that it was Anaris's calls that are attracting these amphibious creatures at attacking every night, Gruner, why didn't he? Why hasn't he attempted to kill her long ago? As like, and I don't say this in like a in a in like a hey, this is a smart decision but I was like how did that not occur to this guy who has already established himself as kind of a deplorable human being like how did that not occur to him I think he likes using her as a pet yeah and and and, and you know like the the having the power over her to show these other creatures look I have power over like one of your own you know it, it, like I said it's it's muddled it's there and it there's ways it could have branched out like you know the whole tension between the two of them because Bruna sees that Anaris likes friend because he's kind mm-hmm. and like very like just soft spoken and like tries to understand what's going on. But you know we have the scene when like he basically stops giving him air when he's trying to get the dynamite underwater. Mm-hmm. He's basically going to kill him. But then he you know friend realizes I got to get out of this thing, and then he and then Bruna helps him out like helps him up. Okay, come on. It's like, so you try to kill him up until a point where he actually survived. And you're like, eh, okay. And they never took, and they never speak about it. <laughs> okay. Like, and and every time, and it seems like that's like every time in this movie where there's tension between the two of them of some sort. It's almost like very um, a passive aggressive tension. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, they kind of like you know like friend you think would be like what the, what the hell's your problem? Like I'm trying to help you. And he do have scenes kind of like that, like when he's screaming at him, like, oh, you know, because, you know, you you, you don't want to lose what little you have, whatever. And then he's and then Gruner does the usual grunt, like, uh, whatever. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, and like, OK, so it's it's very odd. Like, it's, it's like, it's, again, like, while I like the film, it's very disjointed. Yeah. And like the story they're trying to tell is the- disjointed. There was never really a scene that I felt like there was a moment where, like, okay, stuff is bubbling below the surface, and at one point, Gruner's going to pull the knife on Friend, or Friend's going to pull a knife on Gruner. Like, there there, there wasn't that, and I... Right. And and that's where I, it kind of felt like, when I say monotonous and repetitive, like, the film didn't really feel like it had much of a forward momentum, or that there was something that was dragging us to its ultimate conclusion, other than just, we got to build up some time before we have the big, you know, gun battle with the dynamite at the end kind of a thing. Like, it just kind of felt like it was kind of spinning its wheels for a little bit. And, yeah. um, but I guess we, we've, 
you know, why are we talking about Cold Skin on a podcast which deals with films uh, adapted from or inspired by the works of H.P. Lovecraft? This was one that I've, I've seen, you know, uh, the H.P. Mm-hmm. Lovecraft uh, Historical Society posted, or someone posted on this one, and so I thought I'd check it out. It sounded, once again, just like with the, the last episode, I'm like, well, this is definitely at the Mountains of Madness, and it wasn't. This one, I was like, oh, this sounds just like The Shadow Over Innsmouth, and it's yeah. not at all. In fact, um, I, I would say, I mean, there are some Lovecraftian elements. Obviously, we have these deep-sea creatures who are interacting with humankind. I know when, when Friend finds the journal of, like, the original, you know, lighthouse keeper or weatherman or whoever he was there replacing, like, there are there is some stuff which kind of hints at illustrations of, like, this, you know, breeding with these things has been going on for generations, um, right. which is very Shadow over Innsmouth. Um, but uh, I, I wouldn't actually say this film is Lovecraftian. Like, it, it lacks an existential kind of dread. The this the film is, is on the surface more about like just survival, um, and humanity at its core. In fact, the the big thrust as we've been talking about is um this idea of what makes these monsters human and what makes these humans monsters, which is much more in line with like what Del Toro is trying to do with the shape of water and that kind of stuff. Yes, yeah. But but um nothing hints towards like a like a larger significance about like existence or that kind of, like in, in fact if anything it's actually kind of introspective and in, in, in trying to focus on love and humanity, which is, you know, never in a million years would a Lovecraft story, would a creature in a Lovecraft story be humanized or be kind of individualized or intimate. It's, it's, it's more just kind of the, the cosmic insignificance and in our meaninglessness. And instead, this film does kind of deal instead with what gives us meaning. So I think it's actually kind of the polar opposite. Yeah, I mean, and, and I, I don't think I've ever read anything that said that this film was supposed to be like, like you said, you see, you see a post here and there, or you see like a, like a top 12, you know, best Lovecraftian film. Yeah. There's elements of it, but it's not, like you said, there's not as much nihilism. It's not like this. Um, I mean, the way they feel out there, it feels like there's nothing out there for them. There's basically, it's all a black future Mm -hmm. of, but you know, you know, it's just to me, it's more like a just a sad cycle of humanity, yeah. you know, and, and survival of like, how do you survive in these terrible conditions where there's nothing else around? But then, you know, the whole thing where the movie ends is that cycle broken now, even though he's Bruner like now, he he was on good terms with the sea creatures, not, you know what I mean? Yeah. And we see Anaris on the shore and then jumps into the ocean and then is that her just leaving for good Mm -hmm. you know what i mean now it's just going to be a boring island with two people on it you know what i mean maybe that's maybe that's how the movie the lighthouse starts because (laughs) of the sea creatures are gone now and I mean, this this movie did really make me want to rewatch The Lighthouse, and not just because it's a movie involving two guys that live in a lighthouse. <laughs> um, but I, I think it, it deals with that idea of a of a of a dread, specifically kind of a, an existential dread, a lot better. Though I think yeah. I think that would also be one that would be hard to describe as as Lovecraftian. Though I'm sure it's, at some point we'll we'll get oh, to yeah. that one. But um, and and I know I we so. so we've we've talked a great deal about the problems we had with this, but we've also mentioned that we. We didn't find it necessarily bad, so I mean, what, what did what did you actually enjoy about it, James? What were some stuff that you actually really liked? I, I mean, I thought it was like for one, I thought it was shot 
really well yeah for the most part like like it was like beautiful just like tracking shots and like this island like while almost like a prison to whoever lives there was beautiful like you know like the little things here and then like set design was top notch mm-hmm. like that looked like a worn down lighthouse because it probably was you know it, it looked i mean that looks like a lighthouse to me it didn't look like a set it looked like an actual lighthouse and the sea creatures when it's not the big battle of like cgi creatures crawling up when anaris herself i think i think that practical effects were beautiful i mm-hmm. thought they looked really good for like a film like i'm like wow okay that i mean that's a person underneath all that makeup and it's convincing mm-hmm. to me um I thought while Friend was a blank slate and, you know, whatever, I thought he wasn't bad. Like, you know, he he is supposed to be a blank slate. I don't think it's the actor's fault. I think it's what what's given to him as the narrator. He has to be like this, like us, the surrogate to us that what if we were in that same position? How would we react? And, yeah, we don't know much about him. But that's fine. And, and Ray Stevenson, you know, while... He is deplorable. He's, at you know, early on we're like, oh, he's a lovable like like weirdo. Then the more we get to know him, it's like, eh, okay, you can die now. But still, still think he's great, you know. So I think like the film as a whole, it's like um, around that time they would probably call it a ripping yarn, where <laughs> like you know, like a like something you you know, read read a little like you know, like a little penny penny book of like you know a scary story or something and you read it once and you and you and you go that was fun and you never look at it again you go okay i'll put that on the shelf maybe i'll give it to a friend one day to, to showcase but it's not something like oh man you got to watch this film it's more like you know what we we've we've seen way worse but we've also seen way better so it's it's kind of like in that middle ground of like it well made you know well acted you know, but just, just like you said, it's just kind of like there. Yeah, and it, it's yeah. It, technically, it's a very well executed movie. I agree with you. It's it's shot very well. Um, the the way that, um, especially that he uses kind of the uh, the darkness and the light to not just indicate when like the the days are passing, but the seasons are passing themselves as yeah. well. And especially, you have such a cool effect with the lighthouse with the light like going around and like it goes around once on the shore or on the cliffs, and there's nothing there. And then it yeah. comes around again, and they're just and swarming said, up. And it's <clears throat> so yeah. he he uses he uses reveals and, and light like that to to kind of some some really cool effect. And yeah, Ray Stevenson's fun. Um, it, it's funny that the guy's name is Friend because I couldn't even tell you the actor's name without looking at no. it. Um, he himself is just kind of like this blank slate thing. So um, some cool, fun little. I, I mean, I, not even homages. I don't know if they're purposeful, but. Yeah. Uh, the even the quote that I read at the top at the top of the show when he's like, uh, you know, what uh, we what we know is a small island in the vast ocean of what we don't even harkens to a, a, a Lovecraft quote about like, um, you know, we're we're in a, a vast ocean of, of infinity or, or, or of what we don't know basically is like this vast ocean and that we are just kind of floating around in. And um, I don't know if you ever played this video game, James, but when he's in that under underwater suit walking around, it was reminded of the big daddies from Bioshock. It's very Bioshock like, yeah, yeah. Right. So, um, you know, choosing to to either harvest or save. Uh, but uh no, it, so there's a lot of cool visuals, a lot of like uh, a lot of like it was a very nice film to look at and to watch and experience. But 
Yeah, kind yeah. of. Um, from what I understand, the the script seems to be pretty accurate to the book. So yeah. maybe maybe the quarrels we have with the film, we'd also have with the novel itself. Yeah, and, I, and maybe that's the other thing because like it's it's based on what a Spanish novel. Yeah. It's made by a French director. Yeah. And it's starring two English actors. <laughs> so you know what I mean? It's like maybe, that could be another thing. Maybe like language, the language barrier of sorts of the translation of this to that to this doesn't necessarily work perfectly. Could be. It, you maybe know, that's why it's a little off. Mm-hmm. Like that could be another reason why it's like, oh man, it could have been. But then again, doesn't mean it. Like and it, you know, we we know that it, it's probably not that. It's just I'm trying to find reasons why it didn't land the. Uh, landed as well as i thought it could but like you said maybe the book itself is like oh it's a good book but i'll i would never read it again but yeah like a you know not not a not a great movie not a terrible movie one that you know somewhere down the line someone might say like you ever seen cold skin like yeah yeah you know it was all right right. it it, it kept my attention like that that's to me a a, a big thing too like even when it was meandering i i said to myself don't look at your phone just wait watch the movie you might miss something yep i didn't but like it was like okay, not bad, mm. you know. Which is for us to say, it's like most people would be like, "What are you talking about? This movie's great." Us, it's like it's not bad, but it's not really Lovecraftian. So it's kind of one another one that we're like, eh, close enough, but yeah, yeah, not really. I guess we have to add. So we we uh, uh, mm-hmm. add to our list of um, grudges, I suppose. Um, <laughs> If it's got tentacles, it's not necessarily doesn't make it Lovecraftian. If it's got people from the sea, doesn't necessarily make it Lovecraftian. Like we, it's right. got to, there's got to be more than aquatic references just to make it. Um, <laughs> it it just become one of those things. Where it's like like an easy trope to like you know we go oh that must be what it is. They're like no not necessarily yeah. No. But, uh, yeah, I think that's that's really all that I've that I've got to say about Cold Skin and, and like even if you look up at a lot of reviews a lot of the stuff is middle of the road the, the Dave Ehrlich yeah. review I read was like a C plus which is like okay that's not great but it's also not like you know if it's, for Dave Ehrlich like C plus for a movie like this is actually most people would give like a B minus or a B plus you mm-hmm. know what I mean like mm-hmm. I, I, at least I think because he's a little more you know you know he's, he's, a, he's become like one of the main film critics in the country now which is kind of yeah. Amazing to think that I remember doing a few episodes with him back in the day on Criterion Cast. Oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Before he was well well known, he he would be on our show a lot actually. Oh wow, okay. He's a he's he's mutual friends with a guy. I think a guy that you know as well named Brandon. Uh, uh, Brandon Rower. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's small world. Yeah, yeah. but uh, years ago, uh, I guess there was a New Year's party at his at his apartment, and Brandon's like, "Do you want to come and we can like." sneak through his criterion collection and steal some stuff and i'm like nah i, I don't i don't know who this guy is i don't want to <laughs> that's great i love that so like, we could steal some of his uh criterions um but uh yeah big film critic also big new york rangers fan as well um, yes yes big time yeah he was uh he was on i believe um was it the puck soup podcast or merrick versus wachinski i believe it's the puck soup podcast way back in the day and of course being a you know a, a film fan and, and a hockey fan with a complex gotcha. i was like I could talk better about this stuff than he's saying right now, which is a, which is objectively not true. But you know, uh, I think I was just upset because I was stuck in Penn Station waiting for a train at that time. So um, doesn't really bring out the best in one. No, that see, that's the nihilistic uh, dread of like the Penn Station. <laughs> that that's a Lovecraftian story right there. Oh, God. <laughs> 
But yeah, that's that's uh, that's it for um, Cold Skin. We are uh, James and Jim. We are the Cast of Cthulhu. You can find us um, at Cast Cthulhu on Twitter. You can find us uh, the Cast of Cthulhu on Facebook as well. That is Cthulhu Cast, I believe. Facebook.com yes. slash Cthulhu Cast after months of misrepresenting what our actual URL is, which I apologize for. Um, I am Nolan Fixes Teeth on Twitter. James is Fistful of Media. You can find us on uh, castofcthulhu.podbean.com or anywhere you can get your podcast and on our new home of course at Battleship Retention uh, go to battleshipretention.com and you will find the cast of Cthulhu there as well where you can also chime in on the comments field so this is the time of the show where I say here's what we're doing next but I can't do that because we haven't actually planned um, ahead I, you know there was, there was a, a time when you know last year when I had like three months of episodes planned and then the new year hit and I guess I got complacent, tired, but uh, we, we don't have we don't have anything. But stay tuned to our Facebook page, to our Twitter feed, to kind of see um, what is coming up in the month of February. Um, but in the meantime, we'll be waiting and dreaming with Dead Cthulhu in his house in Relia. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 